0: Hello, and welcome to The Reorient Podcast, the show about international issues and international people with an Asian twist. My name is Jesse Friedlander. And I'm Madhavi Peters, also known as The Tropicalist. Okay, we're starting. So, Mr. Alan Zeman, uh, thank you very much for joining The Reorient Podcast.
1: Okay, my pleasure to be here.
0: <laughs> really appreciate uh, you taking the time and a beautiful office, beautiful day. Thank um, you. So, um, as I said before, we, we have no real, it's just a conversation, right. <laughs> but what normally naturally we'd love to do is just maybe start with your background. Okay. Um, and if you could just kind of share with us, our listeners, uh, your background as you, you know, normally think about or tell it, <laughs> I know there's a lot of details, but the, the, the general yeah. Yeah. broad brush.
1: I basically uh, have been in Hong Kong for 50 years at the moment. And so I came out to Hong Kong when I was about 19 years old. Uh, I started a business uh, in the fashion industry. And uh, Hong Kong at that time had all the factories. Uh, everything was not so much in China. Factories were in areas like sample Kong, Kwai Chung, Tong. And so I spent my life in the factory areas going up and down the industrial buildings uh, because uh, we were agents or uh many uh buyers around the world um i originally came from canada from montreal that was my last destination grew up in a very moderate household my father died when i was seven years old i had an older sister lived in new york and uh my mother and i moved up to canada to montreal and uh as a young widow so i kind of brought myself up uh, working at a very young age at uh, 10 years old. Uh, I was working uh, delivering newspapers before going to school, making more money than my teachers at that time. And then on weekends when I was 12 years old, I went to work in a steakhouse on weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, cleaning tables. Uh, And uh, I was pulling in between my newspaper route and my uh, steakhouse uh, while I was going to school uh, about 50 Canadian dollars a week, uh, which is Almost U.S. dollars, and and I was my teachers were earning about thirty five dollars a week, and so my <laughs> friends all were getting one dollar allowance from their parents. So I was, you know, uh, having a death at a very young age. I guess makes you very independent. Yes, and uh, you grow up very very quickly. You learn what the world is all about. Kind of prepared me for my future. Um, and uh, I was in school. I was always in what they called the brain class, the top class uh, in in. Uh, but I never studied. I just was one of those guys that did everything. But I just came naturally. I could pass exams and do okay. And school was not my favorite place to be, especially when you're making money at a very young age. Um, and uh, and I decided uh, to go, instead of going to university, I went at night for one year. But uh, I decided, uh, you know, started working at a very young age at uh, 16. My first job was really in a ladies' lingerie company, working in a stock room, in a shipping room, uh, exporting ladies' underwear. And uh, at 16 years old, it sounded like a very good job. But uh, from there, I realized the money was in selling, and uh, all the salesmen were coming in with their big, fat cigars and wanting to uh, see how, what they're on commission checks. So I thought to myself, well, I want to be a salesman. So I got all dressed up, 17 years old, and looked through the classifieds, and there was a uh, dress salesman that was required in the showroom uh, for the largest dress company in Canada at the time. And uh, knowing nothing about dresses, I got all dressed up, and there was no internet at that time, no computer, no way to really check. And so I always played the odds, so I was a gambler. And uh, I went to apply. And I was the perfect candidate. Uh, if uh, if you were in, interview, yeah, I ticked all the boxes because I figured I took a, took a gamble. I said I had all the experience. I was selling ladies uh, uh, lingerie and uh, I was, uh, you know, they said, how old are you? I was 17. I said, I'm 22. I figured, you know, I can't have experience if I'm really 17. And at that time, HR was interviewing me and I, I ticked all her boxes and she said, uh, "When can you start?" She says, "What's your salary?" I thought a salesman. I, I think I said uh, one hundred and seventy-five dollars a week. I think I was earning sixty dollars, and suddenly uh, she looked at me, you know, and said, "Well, that'll be fine." You know, I almost died you know, <laughs> yeah. at that age, and uh, and then after that, she decided. I said, I'll, you know, I'll start working at the place. And I said, it'll take me a while to adjust from lingerie to, to uh, uh, ladies' dresses. I knew nothing about dresses, but I watched the other salesmen. I was a fast learner. I'd learned pretty quickly. And I, and I realized the most important thing was really to make sure uh, you, that you, you never deceived your customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, always built a trust, built up a relationship with the customers. And uh, I started to do very, very well. And then at the age of, uh, uh, I think, 18, I went out to Western Canada uh, as a traveling salesman with the largest dress line in Canada. Because the salesman had retired and they decided I was such a good salesman and that, that I should move out. And that's exactly what I did. And from there, I was uh, selling ladies' dresses and, and uh, doing very well. I decided at 19, I want to do my own business. Wow. And so that's what brought me to Hong Kong. Because I always thought, if someone else can do something, why can't I? Mm. they for everyone. So why Hong Kong? Because at that time, I was in the fashion business. And Hong Kong was the, really the, uh, the factory uh, of the okay. world. The way China is today, China was closed. It was under, under uh, different administration, communism. And, and so Hong Kong was a British colony. And it sounded like the right place to be. And uh, at the end of my first year in business in Canada, while I was importing ladies' sweaters from Hong Kong, I made a million U.S. dollars profit. Wow. And so I thought to myself, I'm rich. And I sat down with the accountants at the end of the year. I said, I'll have a check for a million. I said, not so fast. I said, why? They said, you got to pay tax. Oh. I said, tax? You're kidding. <laughs> How much? I was a wild kid. Right. And they said, well, uh, 50%, percent five zero." And I said, 50%, you're kidding. Who gets the tax? Well, socialized medicine, socialized this, socialized that. Someone's got to pay for it. So then I thought to myself, wow, um, half a million is a lot of money to a 19 year old. I said, I have a check for half a million. I said, not so fast. I said, why? Because you, you got to pay tax again. I just paid tax. I was a corporation. Now you got declared dividend for personal tax. At a lesser rate, I think I wound up with about 425000 Right. But still to a 19-year-old in those years was a lot of money. Indeed. And uh, so then I was in Hong Kong on a buying trip, and I asked my buying office. Uh, actually, Lydia Dunn at that time was the uh, um, first female. She was at Swire, and that was my buying office. And I said, what is the... Uh, tax in hong kong she told me 15 percent one five <laughs> music wow, to your ears <laughs> right life, yeah right life off of my head and I that i'll move to hong kong just for a few years put away some money don't have to pay so much tax and that's what really what brought me to hong kong and, and
0: that it was the year
1: about 50 years ago <laughs> right yeah. right and so that time when i told my late mother, I'm moving to Hong Kong. And she looked at me, she said, you're moving to Japan? <laughs> no one knew where Hong Kong, because everything was being in Japan in That's those right. years. And, you know, and I said, no, it's China. That was like, to a mother, that was a very Another universe. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, she thought, you know, it was like moving to the moon, basically. <laughs> and uh, I came out here, but I just loved the energy when I first arrived in Hong Kong. You know, it was the British colony, the Hustle and bustle of, of uh, movement of people. Everyone had a can-do spirit here at the time, and uh, I loved the low tax base, limited government interference, almost no government interference, and and uh, it was something that really was intriguing. And mm-hmm. plus, you were doing business with the world, uh, which again was something that was very different than being in Canada, where you really just did domestic uh, business. And I just always love to do business with did you me. hit the
0: ground running? did you start? Hit, yeah,
1: so when I came out here, the first thing I did was I bought well, I had money because I made some money so and rents were very expensive in the, in those days mm-hmm. and, and including office space and 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 homes and so the first thing I did was buy my own office space. So I, I locked in and I had enough money to put a mortgage down. Uh, so down you had hand. enough but, cash to actually yeah.
0: buy an yeah, office space. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, where, yeah. where was that?
1: Uh, the first one was in actually in, in the Shell House. At that time, the Shell House now it's uh, on, on in Queens Road.
0: Queens Road. So yeah. central, central, yeah, Hong central Hong
1: Kong. Central Hong Kong. Well, okay. It's just a little yeah. you know, tiny little office. But right. uh, at that time, you know, it just made sense. And so I then uh, decided that I want to really expand because that that business was governed by quotas and i had a partner with me from the uk and we we opened up a company called colby international and then we and then because we were governed by uh quotas the only way to expand was to do offices in different countries using their quotas
0: to import and, quotas yeah, yeah on, import on quotas too on to, apparel to, yeah when we're yeah,
1: exporting to the United States or to Canada or to UK. Mm-hmm. It was all done by, by quotas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I learned at that time, when I was done with it, we had about 36 offices around the world. As far,
0: you mean you own the offices, not sort of representatives uh, or, or no, no, agents, well, no, but no, your we own, we opened our own, own offices. offices, our own
1: offices. And there were agents for many, many yeah. customers okay. around the world in the U S and Europe and everywhere. and, And it was a very great learning experience. as I traveled there, any offices from Egypt to Bangladesh, to Pakistan, to India, to Thailand, to Korea, South Korea, to uh, uh, Philippines, uh, Taiwan. Um, and, And then as far as South America, we had Guatemala and yeah
0: and this is primarily sourcing fi- finding sourcing, suppliers findings, for yeah finding um, factories finding factories suppliers that for, could
1: produce yeah, could produce for orders that yeah. uh, our buyers were sending us right and,
0: and the buyers would be large uh large
1: be, retailers uh, yeah we represented department stores department stores coles in the yeah. united states yeah. we represented many large uh, mm-hmm. uh companies as well as small specialty stores and specialty shops and And so we really built that business and it really taught me about doing business in foreign countries. Every culture is different. Every culture has their own way of doing business. Mm. You know, what I always found with Americans, when they came out, they always tried to change the culture, (laughs) my way or the highway. Right. And that's why many of them were not successful. Mm -hmm. For me, it was important that uh, I understand the culture of the country and uh, i always put in a uh, local who was from the culture and that really made me Mm. um, made us very Mm. strong and uh could understand how to do business and trust me some of those countries it was very difficult you know a lot of corruption a lot of many different problems that we had to face but you know we faced them head on and uh in the so, end, we built up the second largest uh, trading company in Hong Kong. So, what of that business? I guess, and to give us a sense of the
0: scale of the business, and maybe what your the biggest products or customers were at the time. Well, when we
1: were at your peak. We were the largest, uh, the second largest. Uh, we were actually Lian Fung uh, was the largest in Hong Kong in that in sourcing. They were strong in specialty stores. We were strong in department stores, mm-hmm. and and so after. 25 years, 20 years, uh, we decided to uh, sell the business. It was uh, just after the first dot-com bust that was, uh, mm-hmm. it was big in, in, in the late world. Late yeah, yeah, late 90s. And, and uh, we decided that uh, we were going to go public. And I still remember we had HSBC that was uh, one of the underwriters, and we were out on the roadshow but it was at the tail end of the dot-com era mm-hmm. when everything that was coming out was tanking. Yes. Was going down. Yes. And uh, we had a lot of, because of our name, because of my name, we had a lot of followers, a lot of friends who were going to really believed in the company. were going to invest their money. But if it was on a daily basis at the tail end, as things, as things were coming out, they were going below water. People were losing their money. Yes. For me, it wasn't that important to be able to take friends' money and people's money, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I still remember we were on the roadshow and I was in the UK London, just pulled up at nighttime, and I saw we're at a light in the taxi going to the hotel, and I saw the stock market in the United States had really, really tanked. Mm-hmm. I think it dropped about 900 points It was mm-hmm. one of those <laughs> major things. And, and I, I just thought to myself, that was the last stop before we had to declare uh, that we're going yes. ahead. And I thought to myself, I can't do it. Right. And uh, we called the bank uh, when we got in and said, sorry, we've got to pull back. And they were ready to kill us. They uh-huh. thought we were different, you know, <laughs> But I, I just think to this day we did the right thing. You know, we were actually the original. It was going to be called ColbyNet and it was going to be B2B similar to Alibaba was just starting at the same time. And uh, they stuck with it and changed the B to B2C um, at that time. And we decided to just to pull back. And obviously the rest is history. Alibaba went on to become uh, this huge, huge company. But we decided after that to sell the business uh, to Li and Fung. Mm-hmm. They were no oh, They were number one, we were number two. Mm-hmm. And so we amalgamated all the staff. And, and I at that time had already been doing um, other businesses like it started the Lan Fong area um, which became um, you know today obviously 30 years, 35 years uh, ago I, I, I uh, discovered a back street that uh, was a block away from Queens Road from Central right? and it just seemed you know Hong Kong in the, under the British days was a very different place because there were not a lot of street restaurants yes. and uh, for me uh, we were in the fashion business, design business. We didn't wear ties. We didn't wear socks. If you wanted to get a good meal, you had to go to a hotel. Right. And the, and in the hotel, British style, quite stuffy. They yes. gave you a jacket and a tie. And uh, coming out of the fashion business, you don't do that kind of thing. And so I thought to myself, Hong Kong is such an international city. So many expats here from all countries. Why not open up a restaurant you know, and, and uh, you know where people can hang out. So when I found uh, on this street, had a designer working for me from the U.S. who missed her boyfriend and just she wanted to leave. And uh, I said, "What does he do? He runs a restaurant." Well, kill two birds with one stone. I'll bring him out here. We'll open a restaurant, and you stay here and uh, work with us as, as a fashion designer. And she did that. And I opened up, uh, looked around, came up with the site where. California Tower is now. There was a, the ground floor was a, an old Chinese building. And uh, I decided that I'm going to open up a restaurant. And obviously, the first restaurant was the ground floor of that time, California Tower, called it California, uh, because those are a place that unified Europeans, British, yeah. French, uh, Italians, everybody knew California. Yep. And so I thought that was an appropriate name. Started in California, started to do really, really well, um, and saw the potential. I always say I have the saying, I look at things not for, for what they are. I look at things for what they could be. Mm. So I always look at things beyond what the average person sees. I think most entrepreneurs that have done well, that's basically... Uh, how they look at things
0: just on that were you referencing all you know, i know something similar in tokyo or some other city that uh, there was a trend or uh, did, or is it independent of that
1: at that time um coming out of canada to montreal we had there's a street in montreal called crescent street where all the bars and restaurants mm-hmm. were that was the fashion people would hang out at nighttime. i kind of grew up there was in high school and uh,
0: thank you for listening We hope you enjoyed this portion of the podcast. To access the entire podcast and more high-quality analysis on Asia, please visit our website, reorientpodcast.com. That's one word, all lower caps, reorientpodcast.com.